Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence, your blessings among us this morning. Thank you especially for your word that's before us. We pray your blessing in John as he preaches from your word. May you give him the strength to do so in, on the authority of your word. Thank you. May your uh, spirit anoint him. And may we each be able to receive with grace the, preacher, the, the, the word that is preached before us. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to everyone. I always find it interesting as um, others have shared throughout the morning what they have to say and how that does or doesn't tie in with what I have prepared. Um, and I thank you, Marvin, for covering Father's Day because that is not what I have prepared for this morning. Um, I do appreciate that, and there would certainly be a lot that could be said on that. Um, as most of you know, us pastors have been taking turns preaching on the five values that we have established as a church, and we haven't been exactly in order. Uh, partly because I missed my turn a month ago. But this morning I want to speak on the third one, and that is being together. And as stated in our list of values, uh, it says, Being together, our mutual love for Christ and His Word draws us together to worship, study His Word, and encourage and help each other to live for Him. I'll just repeat that. Being together... Our mutual love for Christ and His Word draws us together to worship, study His Word, and encourage and help each other to live for Him. So finally, interesting as well, um, in the men's Sunday school class, uh, we spent quite a bit of time uh, talking about how to mind your own business um, and to live your own life, and now we talk about being together. And we know that God's Word does not contradict itself, and so I would encourage you to take what you heard, at least the man the ladies talked about, but take what you heard in that class and apply it to your life where it fits, and then also take what we have here, which I believe is also God's Word, and apply that as it fits in your life as well. And I think you will find that they do not contradict, but they do complement each other. So as we look at the statement there as I read it, there are three parts to that statement, and I won't look over these more in depth, and we'll just look at them quickly here. The first one is our mutual love for Christ and his word. Now, that is obviously the foundation of Crystal Valley, and hopefully any church. Um, without that, we're just merely a social club, um, unless our love for Christ and his word is not the foundation, if that's not our primary focus, then nothing else we do is really going to matter um, in the long run. Number two, we come together to, to, study his, to worship and to study His Word. Now, worship not only draws us closer to God, but also draws us closer to each other as well. And studying His Word reveals how He would have us to live. His Word gives us principles, doctrines, the pillars, if you would, um, that anchor our faith and beliefs. And we look at these as truth. And truth, we would like to think, is something that does not change. It's always going to be the same. Um, his word also gives us some practical applications. Some are rather obvious, 
and some are more left up to us to determine exactly how we would live them out. And thirdly, to encourage and help each other live for him. I look at this, maybe not so much, including but not just the time we spend here um, as we are seated now, um, but the time we spend maybe after the service, uh, maybe eating fellowship lunch together, uh, church camping, uh, maybe some of the evening activities that we have that are more informal, and I believe also important of spending time together at each other's homes, whether it's small group, whether it's Sunday lunch, Sunday evening, uh, simply time that we spend together just interacting with each other. So I look at these three points as having maybe nearly equal importance when it comes to the church. Not equally important as relates to your personal salvation, but equally as being together as a group. Apologize this morning. As I get older, the allergies just go longer and longer. I'm going to have sneeze all 12 months here soon, I think. Anyway. Um, anyway, maybe the first thing we want to look at is simply at the word together. When we think of the word together, uh, most of us probably have a picture in our mind or something, a definition of that. And I want to give you a chance to share. Um, there's no right or wrong answer here. What does the word together, just quickly, what's that mean when you think of the word together? Okay, thank you. That's what we thought about a lot. We did. We did. And that's the third point. We'll get to that. Somebody else. Together. So being in a group. Okay, so close. So close proximity. Okay, somebody else. Okay, to where you can't see the individual threads. They're... Okay, interwoven. Okay, good, good. Anybody else? As one, okay. Good, I appreciate all those. So, like I said, um, not Father's Day here, but I think um, as fathers, as families, um, being together would certainly be something that we would you know, value as well. But back to the definition of, forget, of being together, the dictionary says, as Josh said, being in one place, a collection or a group, and I think maybe of <clears throat> flying on an airplane. You are together with those people for a long time, it seems. Um, three hours in an airplane is much longer than three hours spent doing, or at least for me. So you are together as a group. You are in close proximity with that group. However, you are totally different. Um, You might be going to visit a friend. You might be going for a wedding. The person next to you is on a business trip. Somebody else is visiting out of, you know, who knows. So you are together in that you're next to each other, but you're not really connected as such. So being in one place, a collection collection or a group, um, in contact, connection, or union, more what Sarah was saying, how a a cloth, the, the fabrics are together, Um, In agreement or harmony. No one mentioned that one. Um, Are we together in agreement or harmony? And fourthly, in a unified or or coherent structure or an integrated whole, which I hope is what we would see as a church. So we go all the way from together being next to somebody you don't know in an airplane to being together as I hope we are here in church this morning here. 
So which one are we in those varying degrees of together? Which one do we find ourselves here? So I want to look more extensively at these three points I shared earlier. The first one, our mutual love for Christ and his word. As I say, this needs to be the foundation for our togetherness. And scripture gives us some togethers that form that foundation. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who, who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized unto Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should, not, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe we should also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, died no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So here we see verse 4. We have been buried together with Christ through baptism. Uh, baptism symbolizing the death and washing away of sin. Verse 5, we have been united together in his death and resurrection. And verse 6 says, our old men, our sinful nature, sinful nature has been crucified together with Christ. And sin no longer has control over us. And then verses 8 through 10, we have been raised together to a new life in Christ. Again, death and sin no longer have control over us. So that process is essential to our togetherness as a church. And while it happens individually in our own lives, uh, when a group of people who have done those things um, meet collectively, they find themselves drawn together by a common experience, a common goal, and a feeling of family because then we serve the same Father. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even we were yet dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ, by grace he had been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show exceeding riches in his grace, of his grace, in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So here again, uh, saying a lot the same thing, but adds that we are also seated together with Christ in heavenly places. We're given a new position alongside Christ, sharing in his blessings and his fellowship. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Paul here is speaking. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yea, indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, 
and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God, which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul recognized that at times we suffer together. And he recognized, he looked at his suffering as a chance to identify with Christ's suffering. Um, yes, we do suffer um, different things in life, but Paul looked at it as almost having a privilege of suffering, and that, he felt, brought him closer to recognizing what Christ went through for us. And he knew that would not be easy. There would be times of giving up and letting go of things that seemed very important to him. Paul left a lot. He left his, a lot of his background, a lot of his status, a lot of his position and, and, and importance. He left, and he suffered a lot because of that, sacrificing some to gain more. Uh, back to Romans, chapter 8, Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So we're familiar with the idea of adoption, um, that of being becoming part of a new family, not, not who you were originally uh, born to, but becoming part of a new family. In a spiritual sense, uh, we've been born with a sinful nature, and we, it speaks of being children of the devil. We're not automatically born as God's children. No matter who we were born to in an earthly sense, whether our parents were Christians or not, we are not automatically God's children. But as adopted children, um, we gain the full rights of our new family. And those who have adopted or been adopted, um, I'm sure that you look at those children as no different than any of possibly biological or other adopted ones. They are all the same. They have the full rights, the full inheritance, and as it speaks here, become heirs together of God's inheritance that he offers only to his children. So that is the process of adoption. We become heirs together of God of, and um, of Jesus as well. And then finally, uh, in verse 17, he also men uh, mentions being glorified together with him. Um, we get to be part of the family picture, if you please. When God takes his family picture, uh, we're going to be on that. We're going to be part of his family, and we're going to be glorified with him as well. So do we think of all this every time we're together? Um, when, you, when you walked in this morning, I'm sure you didn't think of all those privileges of being together, all that included there. Uh, most of us have been raised such that while we experience and understand the importance of this, we often, for, often will just take it for granted. And I encourage us to remember this because only because of what, of what Christ has done for us that we can truly be together as a church family here. But again, it doesn't just begin and end here. Um, we're thankful for visitors this morning. We can share that togetherness with believers near and far. The same bonds that hold us together as a church draw us closer to other believers as well. And I think we do well to remember that, that the togetherness extends beyond, includes but extends beyond just the four walls here. 
The second point, we come together to worship and to study his word. Now much can be said about worship. Worship draws our attention to God, his greatness, his power, and then consequently it draws attention away from ourselves and our um, troubles or, or trials or whatever. It draws us towards God and then consequently um, our lives should become smaller to ourselves. And probably we're given no greater example of worship than reading through the book of Psalms. Um, and sometimes you look at Psalms as maybe oh, I don't know, um, something we turn to if we can't think of something else for devotion, we'll just read a psalm somewhere. And I, that's fine. Um, but I think the psalms are a very, very good example of what worship is. And if we read through that, uh, we often see the authors changing emotions. Often he starts out uh, possibly depressed about something, but as he turns his heart towards God and worships God, generally by the end of the psalm, his spirits have, have lifted and he ends up uh, ending the psalm in praise towards God and what God has done. And I've just chosen one, not totally at random, but just whatever. Psalm 145, as an example of a psalm of worship. And I would invite you all to stand. Um, if we could read Psalm 145 together, just as an example of worshiping together. And we have done that in song so far already. I would like to do this as a reading. So Psalm 145, verse 1. Let's read this together. I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of his righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power. To make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Thy infinity endured throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all that fall. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them thy meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfieth the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Thank you. You can be seated. 
So we, we see the wide variety that the psalmist covers here uh, from all that God has made, uh, all that he has done, his compassion, his mercy, um, supplying daily needs, uh, avenging his enemies, and just all of that is all contained in this. And there are, you go psalm after psalm of reading the same thing. So I, I think psalms would be a, a good thing to read um, when you are discouraged, when you do need uh, a reminder of God's goodness, of his greatness, and just simply worshiping like that. And I find it interesting how David and the other writers here never seem to run out of things to praise God about. Um, and it's interesting, I, I read through uh, the Bible in chronological order, and where the Psalms fit in with events that were going on in David's life. So he would have a, a very trying time, and then he would write a psalm or two about it. And then he would go on to the next event, and then there'd be a psalm or two about it. And it's kind of interesting to see, we see them all put together here in, in a book, um, but where they actually fit in in his, in his life. And a lot of them were not written out of the good times of his life, but out of the challenging times of his life. So let's not forget the importance of worship. Second part of that is studying God's word. Second part of, uh, second point, studying God's word, um, Acts chapter 17. I always find this kind of interesting here. Um, Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 12. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And there were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, not just a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So if we were to read through um, the prior chapter there, Paul and Silas met many different groups of believers in their travels and their journeys. Some were very eager for truth, and others uh, seemed to really struggle to get past um, their circumstances. In this case here, uh, a lot of strife and unrest happened to Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. And uh, if we would read the rest of the chapter back in verse 5, read of envy, uh, stirring up a mob, spreading lies, and in general, people doing all they could to hinder the truth from being preached. And if you read all of chapter 17, uh, Paul didn't have a, a dull moment there in his, in his life. It's just constantly uh, challenges and, and, and uh, threatenings and, and danger. But here in Berea, um, they were different. And what was different about these people here, they were open to learn. Uh, they weren't gullible. I think there's a difference between being open to learn and being gullible. And these people were open. It says they searched the scriptures daily. Now, I don't know um, if they met daily, uh, if they had Bible study every morning, or if they just on their own uh, searched the scriptures. And keeping in mind that the scriptures they would have had would have been a much less complete list than what we had today. So they didn't have the whole complete New Testament that, at this time yet. But... Here this new guy came along, uh, Paul, and he had ideas, he had doctrine, he had, he had things to share, and it sounded good, but they did their own homework and said, is this really true? And I picture Paul's time with them um, as more discussion, uh, less, less sermons. And if I had it my way, we'd have 
two Sunday school classes and no sermons because I enjoy the discussion. I enjoy the interaction, um, not just one of us talking to you all, but back and forth. I believe we learn uh, possibly more that way. So here we see that by studying the scripture themselves and then combining their knowledge, their personal knowledge of what they heard, many became believers. And I believe that Paul was encouraged by this and not threatened. Um, daily personal Bible study is essential to any group of believers, and it makes what we believe our own, and not just because everyone else believes that way, but we believe that because that is what we ourselves um, believe. Uh, it draws them together as they discuss among themselves. Obviously, we're here in Sunday school class. We have a discussion because different people have um, different viewpoints or similar viewpoints, and we have a discussion because they have studied previously. And thirdly, it does hold the leaders accountable and prevents them from just simply teaching their own doctrine. So um, Paul here, I believe, presented something. There was questions asked. There was verifications, if you want to call it that. Um, they questioned him. And as they did that, they grew stronger together. I think that's a, a very good model that we should continue to practice in our church here today among a group of believers today. The third point, then, to encourage and help each other live for him. And for that, I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, Ken, thank you for bringing that up. Um, I agree that I'm very thankful we are beyond the shutdowns, the isolations that we had a few years ago, and not to get political here at all, but I don't think any of us would want to continue living like that for any length of time. In fact, I think we'd all agree it was much too long the way it was. And we often hear these verses here used in reference to being together, whether in a church service, something like that. I think it does mean that as well. I think it also means simply being together in more casual settings as well. Um, I remember uh, one Sunday evening, we needed to see people. <laughs> and we weren't quite sure who we could go see we were just a little scared. Are we going to be accepted? Are we going to be okay there? And um, we did finally just stop in and knock on the door, and we had a great evening. Um, but that feeling of, of not being together, uh, and it wasn't a, a church service, it was just simply being together as an evening. Um, I think that is very, very important. As I mentioned earlier, I know we have busy schedules, I know uh, we have work Monday morning, we have families, we have whatever, but simply taking time to um, have people over for, uh, doesn't that be steak, it can be hot dogs or hamburgers or, or marshmallows or you know, whatever, popcorn, whatever your budget allows, um, doesn't have to be a feast, but just simply a time of fellowshipping and learning to know each other outside of the setting that we have here I think is very, very valuable. And one of the definitions I gave earlier is a unified organization. Obviously, one of the primary goals of any leader is his organization would, would remain unified, whether a business, church, family. Um, there's only a certain amount of energy available. 
And if most of that energy is spent internally, whether in conflict or an effort to avoid conflict, there's very little energy left to reach out to other people. On the other hand, if we have peace within the organization, whether the church or whatever, the majority of that energy can be spent working together and reaching out to others versus having to work among ourselves as much. So togetherness or unity comes from two directions. First and primarily, as I said, it needs to be unified in our salvation experience, our beliefs, our understanding of God's word. Uh, but sometimes we need to overlook, we overlook the other direction, simply being unified as friends. Um, yeah, I go to church with that person. Am I his friend? Do I consider him his friend? I know we all say we do, but how well do we know each other as friends? Um, across the age groups, across the interest difference, uh, finding things in common with those around us. Uh, I know it's, it's great to, to sit and listen. Um, can we ask questions? Do we, are we interested in each other's lives? Do we, do we find things in common versus things that separate us? Uh, sharing an afternoon evening, learning to know each other better, uh, goals, ideas, concerns. Uh, maybe do we trust each other enough that we can get personal with our goals, our ideas, concerns? Um, Interacting on a personal level will make interacting on a church level much easier because we better understand each other. We understand why a certain person may respond differently to a situation than I would because we know where his life experiences have brought him to where they are today. We've heard their story, we've walked beside them, and we kind of know how they feel. If I only use that challenge today, as we worship and draw closer to God, we are being drawn closer to each other spiritually. As we study and discuss his word, we are being drawn closer together intellectually. As we fellowship with each other, we are being drawn closer together emotionally. And all three are important, some more natural for us, for some of us than others. So I encourage you to focus on the one that you're possibly weakest on, um, one maybe that scares you the most, and the one that makes you feel vulnerable, and ask God to help you grow in that area together for his honor and for his glory. Let's stand for prayer. And then remain standing for the final song. Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessing you have given us, being part of the fellowship of believers, people we can worship with, sing with, and be together with, learn more about you. We thank you, too, for godly friends, people we can relate to about daily events, joys, and sorrows. Give us a love for you as well as a love for each, for each other, so that together we can be an example to those around us of what it means to be a child of you. Grant us safety as we go from here. Guide and direct us until we meet again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ken?